All right. Welcome back to another episode of Sports Reports as Ordered. I'm your co-host, Mike Wilson, also known as 2-5. You can find me on Twitter at 2BitReports. So, you know, I got my man Raph Rutley back in the house. We're going to give you what's going on, Mr. Raph. Oh, man, just just living life, just happy retired life, hit the gym a little bit, get ready for this. You know, just a hobby, turn to a passion. Yeah. Make it happen, you know, just a couple of vets chopping it up. Yep, and then uh, uh, just like just like last week, just like last week, I need you to, you know, put your video back on and off again. I don't see you right now. You don't see me? No. No, hopefully you can see me. No, I'm back. All right, I got you. You got me? Got you. All right, we in there. So, you know, yeah, man, like, you know, working out, you know, is like the basis of my life, you know, at this point, you know, just trying to stay in shape, trying to live a long time, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Okay. I know. I need to have 40 more summers. Yes, but I want to let everybody know, you know, pull them behind the curtain a little bit. Look, this thing is like homework, y'all. You know what I mean? I be up in here to like one in the morning looking up these obscure things, you know, to entertain and to just throw some stuff out there because we want to be a little bit different than the people that just talk a lot. You know, so I hear the blow yet. I got like 12 tabs open up on my laptop. I got notes written out here to think about this all week. And we're going to try to give try to give you guys two two videos a week. You know, we have football season in the middle of the, of the playoff push, a lot of surprises, a lot of blunders, a lot of people losing their jobs, a lot of people who should get paid, a lot of people who are going to get paid that probably shouldn't get paid. You know, we, we got it all. You got the NBA, you got the All-Star game coming up. It's going to be in Salt Lake City, Utah. Shout out to Utah, Wasatch 801. What up? You know what I mean? So, you know what I'm saying? We're we doing big things. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, just a couple of guys, man, chopping it up. Trying to provide some some intellect, some entertainment, yeah. and ultimately just have a good time. And and you know all I'm gonna say is before we get started, if you believe that your head coach is right for you, do not use one game or a 27 point comeback to fire him. You know, with that being said, we're gonna start off the show with talks of a 12 team playoff. Do we like it? If we don't like it, what will we change about it? We're going to hit you with some wild card recaps, just give you a quick synopsis of each game. We're going to get into a talk about Luka Doncic, you know, because he's a hot topic. A lot of people don't like him or the coverage on him, but, you know, he has earned that coverage. I'll just say that. We're going to talk briefly about Lamar Jackson. You know, should the Ravens sign him? Should they give him all the money? I think one of us is going to say yes, and one of us is going to say no, but, uh, you know, we'll figure that out as well. Then we're going to transition into a couple of NBA thoughts. You know, we're getting close to the All-Star game, like Raph mentioned. So playoff runs are coming, trade deadline on February 9th. So, you know, just some thoughts. We're going to take a quick turn into Byron Leftwich. And then we're going to finish it off, as always, with getting something off of our chest. So, Raph, 12-team playoffs. What you got? Well, everyone was looking at the final score at TCU, Georgia. I want to say here for the record that I knew it was going to be a blowout. I text everybody. 
My dad's a big sports fan. He was like, I got to call this close game. I'm like, no. Nah. I had it 42-14. The reason I had it 42-14 is that at this point in the college football playoff run, you really got two teams. The beginning of the year, August, September, yeah, you may have four to six that you think can really do it. When it comes down to it, with the crash course for all the SEC teams playing each other, you got two teams that are going to play for the national title. And one of them, at some point, either in the semifinal round or the actual college playoff, is going to be a bit overmatched. Because the top two teams are the creme de la creme. And I think people are ignoring that because they're just looking at the record. They look at the records like, oh, Houston went 11-1, and and Cincinnati went 12-0. and you're not competing at the college level with the athletes that some of these top schools are able to recruit, whether it's money, whether it's location, whether it's weather, whether it's the coach's ability to recruit, whether it's the NIL deal, whether it's the boosters, whatever it is, certain schools in a certain region have that advantage in almost every category. Alabama gets has gotten so much money off of boosters. The money you get for being in the BCS championship, the money you got for being in, in the national championship game. Every single year, they're getting $20, 25000000 million on top of the boosters, on top of the Nike deals, on top of the TV deals. They're on ESPN all the time. They're on ABC. They're on CBS. They're on at 4 o'clock. They're on at 1 o'clock. They're playing neutral sites in Dallas, and they're selling out. They're just constantly there. Then you you follow up teams like LSU, even if it's a flash in the pan, Auburn, flash in the pan, LSU, flash in the pan. The year that they flash, they dominate, and it's not even close. So I don't know what 12 would do besides have us watching multiple games. Maybe they're competitive. Maybe if you give a first-round bye to the top four teams and it's 5 through 12, maybe you got a shot. USC at 5. And a team like will go like uh like well, how about old, Tulane? You know, that just beat them in the bowl game. You know, so and they always say, Oh, they didn't want to be there anyway. Any given Saturday and, and college football, yeah, things could happen. But for the most part, man, just a talent. Like the Georgia I knew Georgia's talent was gonna be overwhelming and exactly what I said was gonna happen. TCU was using Max Duggan to run. But once you realize that the Georgia defensive tech tackles run just as well as linebackers, that little RPO is useless. Because, okay, one dude's going to hit the running back. The other guy's going to hit the quarterback. So when they couldn't do that, it was like, now you got to drop back pass. All right, well, TCU has great Texas skill players, but they match up well with the Georgia skill players. So you, you're not getting an advantage there. Georgia's had an advantage everywhere. And then they had the quarterback that's older than half the quarterbacks in the NFL playoffs. So he's Maybe. seen it all. You can't you can't disguise anything with 19, 20, and 21-year-old playing coverage. He's like, this dude's been in college for like six years. So that was their advantage. And the schools who have that kind of cachet, Georgia's going to get another guy next year. They'll pull a guy from somewhere, either transfer portal or out of nowhere, and it's like, you know what? If you can't throw it 30 times a game, you'll just run it. So 
I think the 12 team playoff is going to be good for entertainment as far as financial entertainment for people who are profiting from it. But as far as competitive edge and viewership, it won't change anything. 12 is never going to be a national champion. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the age thing because Stetson Bennett just happens to be the same age as Lamar Jackson. So, you know, chew on that one for a second. You know, so I agree, but for different reasons. You know, I look at it more so from the standpoint of looking at FCS as an example. So a lot of people, myself included, myself included, I'm recently transitioning over to this line of thought. Originally, I said, hey, FCS does 24 teams. So if if they can do that, what is eight or what is 12 for FBS? But then I pulled it back and I said, hold on, wait, 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 wait. North Dakota State has won nine out of the last 12 FCS championships, you know, first of all. So how does that even happen? Not even the fact that a team did it, but why is it North Dakota State? Why is it a team in North Dakota? Anyway, I'll come back to that. So looking at this, you know, the SEC fanboys are going to be out and I'm finally going to get some love from them because I'm about to say something that they finally going to love from me, which is what happens when fourth place Mississippi State wins the national title, you know, over second place Georgia, whatever the case may be. There's no Big Ten team in the title game. There's no ACC team in the title game because for the last few years, you know, Clemens, Clemson has been the only real team that's been competitive anyway. Also, like for college football, I don't understand. And maybe you could help me with this, Raph. So I remember back in 2006 or so, the nation just galvanizing behind George Mason. You know, and a few years after that, Shaka Smart brought VCU all the way to the Final Four, beat Kansas and everything. We don't want that in college football. So even like if TCU could or would have beat Georgia, people would have still been upset that it wasn't like your traditional blue blood or your traditional what we think of as a big school. Because if Texas, for example, or Oklahoma had played Georgia and lost that same way, maybe people make their jokes but I don't know if it's a matter of they don't belong, you know? So, so I think that's just a little different in how we view things. Like all season long, people said TCU doesn't belong. They haven't played anybody, X, Y, Z. You switch that TCU to say Texas or Oklahoma, everybody's happy because you're going to get an epic matchup between two blue. Everybody's players. happy because you can fill a 100,000 seat, a 70,000, 80,000, 100,000 seat NFL stadium with Oklahoma versus Texas, Ohio State versus Alabama, Georgia versus Oklahoma. You can fill the stadium. People don't like the underdog story to be the champion. They like to watch. They like the underdog to try and you know, got the little engine they could and chug it, yeah. chug it all the way down. But no one wants to see Cincinnati beat Alabama, which surprises me because I would rather see that. I'd rather see... Virginia Tech over Florida State. Like when Vic got in the lead back in 99, 2000, and that national championship game. And then Florida State was a criminal. The crime. So they eventually they came back and they won. I think it was like 42, 29, something like that. But Vic played his heart out mm-hmm. to get that lead. I'd rather see that because it's amateur sport. The problem is that it's not operated like an amateur sport. NCAA is a not, not-for-profit organization. Tax exempt. They don't pay taxes on all the money they get, as long as they don't turn a profit. You think that $17 million that the schools 
for playing these games is not that's good money. But they want teams that can travel. For instance, the year before the BCS was a last one was Auburn versus Florida State. The game was in Pasadena. We were living in Utah at the time. I had a couple of Auburn fans. He got tickets to that game for like $200 because they couldn't sell out the stadium because you had two Southern teams playing in Southern California. So in order to get airfare and everything else, luckily he flew from Utah, so it was a cheap ticket. But the ticket he bought for the game was a couple hundred bucks. They don't want that. They don't want to not be able to sell out the national championship game. So if it's an initiative, if it's Cincinnati or Ohio State, and Ohio State has enough of a reason to get in over Cincinnati to go pick Ohio State. And then watching TCU lose 65 to 7 is even more incentive to put in the team that plays a tougher schedule or has the bigger legacy. With a longer legacy. All right. So thank you, Molly Gary. Hopefully it's not Gary, you know, from <laughs> Sporting News for giving me this one. So since the college football playoff has started in 2014, only 14 schools have made the playoffs. You know, so in that 14, Alabama has seven appearances. Clemson has six and Ohio State has five. You know, so if you're doing the math at home there. You know, 14, 6, and 5, that's 23 of those 36 slots. There's 131 college football teams. Yes. Yes. Just add so, that for you. Yeah, so with that being said, only seven schools total, you know, and of course that includes the schools I just mentioned, only seven schools have been more than once. So outside of the big players that you mentioned, Alabama, Georgia, and so on and so forth, there's not even dynasty, dynasty potential. You know, so like you're getting the parody as far as who's getting in, but it doesn't seem to matter once the games actually kick off. So with that being said, in the semifinals, average margin of victory. And I know this year was epic. This year was awesome. But most years are not. So so, so since the playoff has started, the average margin of victory in the semifinals is 19.7 points. So almost three touchdowns, teams are getting their wigs peeled back every single year, and they want to go grab more money. Now you want to go let a nine and three team in. And, you know, the NFL is a little different. You know, you had your nine and seven New York Giant wild card that came through and crushed the buildings, but the talent is more evenly dispersed that in, the, in that league. Whereas in college, we know a three-loss team is a three-loss team, especially depending on what league they play in. A three-loss Pac-12 team, for example, is not the same as a three-loss SEC team, Big Ten team, so on and so forth. Correct. So I mentioned North Dakota State winning nine out of the last 12 national titles at the FCS level. Before North Dakota State went on their run, it was all about Appalachian State. You know, those guys that went into the big house and beat Michigan, you know, they had ran off three straight national titles before they left to go to FBS. So, you know, FCS gives us a look into what our future may be with the FBS, you know, and with that being said, I think I remember you supporting 
four teams, like staying at four, you know, for the sake of competitive balance and all that kind of stuff like that. Whereas I was more so let's go eight just because and the only reason I said eight is because what's the point of having a power five if five champions don't get in? You know, so that's where four doesn't sit right with me because there's always potential that a conference champion is going to not get in. But also in most years, there's going to be two because there's going to be two SEC teams or there's going to be two Big Ten teams. So there might even be two conference champions. And you can get into the arguments about conference strength and all that kind of stuff that we just talked about. But what's the point of winning your conference in any sport if you don't have an opportunity to go to the dance? Because when they took the math out of it with the BCS, everyone hated the BCS math, strength of schedule, where you were ranked. A lot of people hated it. But ultimately, there might have been some years where, like, the third-ranked team maybe had a bit of a gripe against the number two team. But that wasn't as common as it is now. But here, six, seven, and eight, Bodies. I think Utah, big fan. They were ten and three. They were eight going into the Rose Bowl. So you're telling me that Georgia at thirteen and zero would have to match up with ten and three Utah just to prove what? You already know who's better. You know who is already better. It's just people want to clamor because the rules are laid out. College football, you have the capability of going 11 and 1, 12 and 0, 13 and 0, whatever that number is, simply by the way that you are structured as an organization. 20 kids are five star recruits, like 24 kids are five star recruits in the Big Ten. 16 of them go to Ohio State, like every year. So, Ohio State, you can't be like, oh, we played a tough Michigan game on the road. I'm like, you also got all the five stars in the state of Ohio that come to your school. And you got a couple of transfer players from Pitt or Clemson that were also four or five stars. So you're, you're getting the best players. So you cannot make the then pity me argument of, oh, well, we only lost one game. Uh, no, you're setting it up to where you go undefeated. You don't go undefeated or you don't win your conference with just one loss at max. Then you shouldn't be on TV, Nick Sabian lobbying the night before the, the thing comes out because you already know what the rules are. Like you're playing, you're playing spades face up. You already know. You can't then ask the committee to, to, to help you get in when you already reneged. You had your opportunity. They can't act like, oh, we lost on the last play and the game was nine to six. They gave up like 300 yards that one wide receiver, like maybe double him. I don't know. Like, I mean, like, they're a good team. They're a great team, a great coach, but in the same sense, like, okay, yo, you know the rules, you know the parameters. You got to go 11 and 1, 12 and 0 to truly be considered much the top four. See, I yeah. love the fact that you brought up nine to six because people at home, we did not talk about nine to six at all before we started this. But as he was speaking, nine to six popped in my mind because one of my next points to play devil's advocate against my own 18 playoff or 12 team playoff is that college football fans always told me growing up that college football was the one sport where every week mattered. So, you know, if you lost early in the season, 
you had a chance to make it up, but if you lost late, you were done. You were so, done. So this 9-6 thing, Alabama, LSU, 2011, live from Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa. LSU <laughs> went into that stadium and won that game. So then Oklahoma State was number two for a lot of the season. And then on our Friday night, unfortunately, they went to Ames, Iowa, and they lost, you know, 24 to 21, lost by three points. So what happened at the end of the year? The BCS said, give me Bama LSU or give me death. But I say, hey, we already saw that game, nine to six, and it was in Tuscaloosa. So if I'm LSU, every week doesn't matter because now I got to go play a team I beat already. Now, granted, the game was in New Orleans. No one told LSU to lose 21 to nothing. But the point being, Alabama had way more incentive in that game because they had the revenge on their side as well. So so that's where, for me, it gets a little cloudy because every week does not matter in this scenario. So college football's regular season was a playoff all the way through, whereas in the NFL, you know, and here, check out this segue. In the NFL, you have teams like San Francisco and Seattle, who San Francisco beat twice, and then they just had to play them Saturday. So what happened in that game, Raph? I mean, Brock Purdy is Kurt Warner 2.0, Patrick Mahomes 2.0, Mr. Irrelevant, Tom Brady 2.0. I mean, like, it's, it's just crazy, the, all the accolades. Yeah, so when they lose this week to Dallas, I think all this Brock Purdy stuff will stop. I mean, it's, it's over for Trey Lance. See, and I, I told this man we wasn't doing previews, and you see what he just did? I'm just, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. <coughs> Dakota you see Preston. what he just did? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think... I think that the I think the NFL playoffs, I wish they were stuck to 12 teams, but I don't like 14 at all. I just don't think that 14th. I don't think that it should have been that many teams barely at 500 in the playoffs. I get it every year it happens, 9-17. Occasionally, Seattle, they went 79. I think New Orleans was 79 one year. Mm-hmm. It happens. I get it. The Arizona Cardinals were 9-7 a year. That Kurt Warner... And Larry Fitzgerald and the, the pass to the corner with Roethlisberger and Antonio Holmes. I still don't think he got his second foot down. To this day, I watched that highlight. I watched that highlight every time it comes on, and I still don't see that second toe on the ground. It's on his foot, but that's neither here nor there. But, like, it's, it's rare that a 9-17 really makes a run. You had the Giants. That the Giants the, did it twice. They, did, they beat the Patriots. So it happens more often to where it's like, okay, but – for the most part, your better teams are, you know, they're going to advance. I just think that Shanahan, I think what they, I think they hit you with a, a different kind of wave that I think every team could model, but they don't. They hit you with this wave of get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. Also have playmakers all over the field. And I get everybody isn't going to be, you're not going to get number one draft picks all over the field. But if you're at practice in August and you notice your wide receiver is built like a running back, you know, like maybe you don't hand it to him from out of the backfield all the time, but I'm like, let's get this ball to him quick. Like a young quarterback, we get some crossing routes. Let me get these kind of one on one routes, easy throws for my quarterback to get to the hands of playmakers. Kittle is a matchup nightmare in the middle. He can't put a corner on him. 
because you have to put a nickel corner on him. Can't put a safety on him because he's going to beat him. Can't put a linebacker on him because he's probably going to beat him. So you got to bracket him. So you got to get a corner underneath, line, safety over top, linebacker underneath. So you got to do something. You got to take two people out just, just for Kittle because he's great run at the catch. He's always he's always looking to catch the ball in the middle of the field. Doesn't shy away from contact. Big tight end, young quarterback's best friend. They just use their pieces better than the other teams that I see in the playoffs. I'm not a big Shanahan guy. I mean, he did get Matt Ryan MVP. He still should have ran the ball on second down um, in that game in Houston back in the day. But we're not going to talk about that. But if, if you just look at what he, what he had to do with a rookie quarterback, and it's not like they're winning games 17 to 14. You know, they're putting up 30, 35 points, 21-0. You know, they're going on runs, two, three drives in a row. He's getting two or three passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. I think they just figured it out. I think he's just – he's coaching better than a lot of other coaches. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to – I don't want to be the next person kind of jumps on that wave something. Like, it has, it has to come to win. Like, the run has to stop. And I think it happens this weekend, but we'll talk about that later. So speaking of your point about the weapons all over the field, you know, caught my eye was San Francisco with the 505 total yards, you know. So when you think of a rookie quarterback. And Pete Carroll, defensive coach. Okay, keep going. Yeah, you you know, when you think of rookies, you think – you know, play it close to the vest, you know, let's get out of here 17, 14, or let's not, you know, do all these things. But then I looked at Seattle's defense and I said, what are they doing? Because I feel like there was a few times San Francisco ran the same play and Seattle just didn't adjust to it at all. Uh, But what caught me was it was 17 to 16 at the half. And for a moment, for a moment, I said, could the unthinkable happen? You text me upset alert. Yeah, upset alert. because. What? Yeah, because DJ Metcalf finished with 10 catches, 436 yards. So, you know, that vaunted San Francisco defense, you know, kind of showed some leaks maybe. You know, we'll have to see if Dak can be the one he's to – Although, he's an exceptional player. Just Definitely, that. definitely. So, like, just that, that size-speed combination and – Hope and throw. Like you can just mm-hmm. hope he's gonna be open. You can hope that he's gonna jump him. You just gotta make that throw because you can't you can't cover him the whole game. Because it, right. it look if you're a smart coach would know like if you're gonna cover my guy this way the whole time, I'm gonna adjust. And that's what I think San Francisco does well. Like, they're like, okay, cool, we'll just get it to McCaffrey out of, or Eli Mitchell. It seems like they're just throwing fresh bodies at you all the time. Right, right. And and you know Brock Purdy also went over. 300 yards for the first time. So, you know, that's something to look forward to, 49er fans, maybe, because if I don't know anything else, I know Trayvon Diggs could allow a big play. So with that being said, I'm not previewing. I just threw that out there. But last week I gave you a stat. Seattle 9-0 and when they rushed for 75 yards. So Kenneth Walker, the rookie, the phenomenal rookie, as the primary ball handler, 15 carries for 63 yards. So that tells me either Seattle should have gave him a couple of more touches, you know, or or they were just overmatched to begin with, and they had pride in the first half, and then reality kicked in in the second half. That's what I got out of the game. was It was a division rival. You're familiar with them. 
you play hard because you don't like each other. But then eventually the game within the game. There's only so much you can do with what you have. Like like what you do, you're not going to scheme up a new way to get points and yards in January that you haven't already done. Like if they were giving the ball to lock it on jet sweeps and touch passes and, you know, they, they bring in some gadget running back wide receiver returner out of the backfield and they were hitting them with screen. If that was part of their DNA for the whole year, then yeah, you need something like that. You're going to need some kind of dynamic X factor type of player or, or scheme like your schematics have to work. And that's what San, San Francisco has to, schematically. They, just, they can just hit you with, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Elijah Mitchell, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, all on the field at the same time. And they can do that every play if they want. Or bring a Yushek instead of a Mitchell from Shotgun. You got, you got another wide receiver, was, uh, number 15, if got his name. Um, that's not Jennings, is it? Yeah, Jennings. Yeah, so okay. That's, 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 your, that's your threat. Like, you're what are you, you going to do with that? When they're on, they can be on. I just mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. like some point mistakes have to happen. Somebody has to slip out past, maybe the weather, some rain. But if it's like 60 and no breeze next week, then I might have to change my pick. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of DNA, I love the DNA talk. You know, so DNA. Hey, Brandon Staley. You know, I know I referred to you as Mr. Go for it on fourth down at the wrong times. You damn sure didn't do it at the right time this he week. He didn't go for it at all. He just got tight. He puckered up. And and you know what's crazy about it is everybody has Herbert mania, right? And I said, look, there's a couple of third and threes. There's a couple of third and fours. Get me that. I'm not asking you to get me a third and nine. I'm not asking you to make a miraculous play on third and 13. Get me three yards, please. Hit Keenan Allen in the back of the end zone wide open, please. If Jacksonville gives you the ball and you because they hit a dude in the helmet and you can get, can you get more than a field goal out of that, please? If you're the and I'm not saying that he's not that guy. I'm just saying, can you do that for me? And and real quick, real quick, real quick, and 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 Mr. Bosa. Can you not act like Draymond Green in the heat of the moment? Oh my goodness! I've I've my son plays youth, youth football. My oldest son played high school football. He played for three years. My youngest son has played for now seven seasons. I've never seen a kid do that, and I've watched I've watched I've watched so many football games for my sons. Youth and high school program that I know the cheers, the moves, all of it, the clap, the stomp, the hand, the wave, the uh, I've been at that many football games and I've never seen a child take his helmet off, slam it, get it handed back to him and slam it again. Not at practice, not at a game, not a game. I've never seen it happen. And for him to do it, I thought he was getting kicked out of the game because he got unsportsmanlike earlier from the refs. So I'm like, and then the I think it was Terry McCauley, one of the 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 referee commentators said that 
because it wasn't the person, the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty he got with the referee was different than the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty he got with the helmet because it wasn't related to interference or interacting with a staff member of any kind. So if he would have like, you know, for instance, like Quay Walker pushed a medical member or bumped into a referee, he would have gotten unsportsmanlike. That would have been his second one. He would got ejected. But since this unsportsmanlike is just the heat in the moment of him just being obnoxious, it didn't count. I don't know why that's separate. I think two is two. You shouldn't need to. I see, like I said, the only time I've seen a kid get really get kicked out of a game was a youth football game. He ran, scored a touchdown, and when he was running down the sideline by himself, he pointed to the sky. Got to the end zone by himself, spiked the ball. They gave him two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties to kick him out of the game, nine years old. I was like, are you serious? You just kick the kid out of the game for spiking the ball? Like, that's, that's unsportsmanlike conduct in our league. And he got kicked out. But once again, I've never seen a child like deliberately act the way Joey Bosa did. What but, did he say to that ref? Man, he's he he you know that scale. I mean, F around and you find out. <laughs> he went right to the top. Cause you can see he was like, Oh, what'd you say? A word? And he said it again. He was like, because he gave him a shot to not say anything. He leaned in like this. You know, Joe Bush is a big dude, he's about six five, two six. He must have said something extremely slick for a right sized man to just run up on him. But, <laughs> so, whatever he said, none of that makes any sense to how the game played out. It just, I don't. I mean, look, so we'll, we'll get into this on Get Off My Chest, but I just, I don't, I don't want to overshadow Trevor Lawrence through four picks. Four picks in the first half of his first playoff game at home. Fans didn't boo. That's one thing I noticed. The fans didn't boo. I don't like my son was asking, "What? How many people left?" I'm like, "I don't know the price of those tickets." And those people up in the pool, because <laughs> I know the, that pool pass probably cost a little bit too. So I was like, "I mean, you're already there. It's been the first time you've been in playoffs six seasons. Might as well stay." But I never felt like. The game was over, but I thought you'd get a turnover. Like I said, we talked about this earlier. I thought when it got to 27-7, because it went to half 27-7, Lawrence moved down the field, got a touchdown. I thought that LA would get the ball coming out, maybe to get a three and out to get the ball back. They get to score to 27-14. I thought at that point, somebody who doesn't normally get the ball would make a mistake. The guy returning the kickoff, trying to make a play because the pressure's kind of on because your 27-0 lead is down 27-14. Now you want to make a play. I thought that guy would try to do too much, get his elbow hit, fumble the ball, mm-hmm. short field. Didn't happen. Just L.A. just didn't – they didn't operate like the clock was on their side. Mm-hmm. They were playing like they were down 27-0. You know, so we mentioned that Staley didn't go for it on fourth down. But what he did was call a jet sweep on third and one with a dude. He didn't get that play. He didn't get that play at all. Yeah. You know why? Because that play was probably designed for DeAndre Carter, who was not there. 
<laughs> so he Nobody. tried to plug and play, and it didn't work. He tried to avoid the ball. Yeah, he was like, no, I don't want it. Like, dude, you better hand that ball off and get a yard. But that's the thing. I don't think he knew the play. Somebody didn't know it. So I don't know. I've heard Peyton Manning call play calls. I watched the Manning cast, and it's like a it's like a sonnet from Shakespeare. That left overlook kill, kill, five dime, money, money, go, go, run, slash. He didn't hear the slash part, so he just was going to run, run, go, go. He was waiting for the Omaha. Yeah, he He did this with his arm, and then it hit off his arm. I was like, how how were you not prepared in that moment? How do you not get that playoff? So, but yeah, like, I mean, Doug Peterson went for the little sweep on fourth and one. And if that didn't work, people would kill him for it. So I'm not going to kill you for the play call not working. I'm going to kill you for the fact that the dude who ran the play didn't know it was for him. So here's my question for you. In a scenario like that, how this game played out, what is the difference between saying, hey, I'm going to fire this dude versus, hey, it was the first playoff game. He's still a relatively young head coach. It was, a, it was an awful look. Let's go into next year and move forward. I don't think anything happened in the game to fire anybody. Okay. Simply because if they got you to 27 points, that's enough. That's enough in an NFL game. If you collectively, as a unit, Head coach, defensive coordinator, special teams, everybody has to maintain like like the offensive coordinator got you 27 points. I don't think they had the defensive touchdown. They had some short fields. So the offensive play calls got you to 27 points. The defensive play calls that didn't change in the second half, and it was like, listen, they were jumping everything short. And I'm I don't have like the, the, the tape to see how far these how deep the Jacksonville routes were. But what it felt like in the first half, felt like Jacksonville was running routes that were like five yards apart. So the tight end would come across at five yards, the wide receiver would come across at 10 yards. Mm-hmm. And what was happening is like you had safeties, corners, linebackers jumping either route. The Sante Samuel pick when he got on Ingram when Ingram was on the cross, he just flat came off of this guy. It was like they were playing like the zone that was like maybe, you know, 10 or 15 yards from the line of scrimmage, and that's all they were doing. So every interception he threw was that. It was somebody coming down and either making, taking away his first read or jumping where he actually threw the ball. So that's why he threw the four picks. So Zay Jones in the second half when he caught his touchdown, he ran like a deep crossing route. It was a safety on the defensive left, and then you had Derwin James on the right. He jumped down on someone running a, like a big route, and Zay Jones ran right by him. The safety was expecting Derwin James to be here. He's here because they had jumped that route so many times. Mm-hmm. So I think Jacksonville noticed, hey, man, we can get these deep crossing routes off. So they started running shallower crossing routes. Instead of running them so close, it felt like, they were just running one guy five yards away from line of scrimmage instead of 10. Mm-hmm. And another guy deep. 
And when they started doing that, the defense kept doing the same thing. Like every <laughs> play you would watch, even on the um the touchdown to Ingram, they're in the red zone. I think Jacksonville had the ball like maybe inside the 10. He ran and everyone jumped. They ran with him and then jumped back down to the goal line. Trevor Lawrence threw it over the top. Like they just kept squeezing down. It was like they were doing it the whole way up the field. And Jacksonville figured it out. So they were like, oh, I'm just going to wait one more second. Well, you and know, last week I brought up the death by a thousand paper cuts. And I think that early in the first half, they said, we're not going to allow that. We're not going to allow them to take these short to intermediate routes and get free yak and all that good stuff like that. Whereas in the second half, once Jacksonville adjusted, it was like they just thought, like, they got to go back to what they were doing. Like, for some strange reason, like, the conversation was like, why are they not doing what they were doing before? And it's like, oh, don't worry. They'll revert back to themselves. And it just never happened. They were running the ball. <laughs> they, how, about, how about that fourth down, uh, the run to ETN? I knew in my heart of hearts that was uh, – they were setting those three guys up to push Trevor Lawrence forward. Mm-hmm. If I'm on that defense, I'm getting, I'm getting cut because I'm in, I'm in the gap. <laughs> I'm in the A-gap because in my mind, those three dudes behind Trevor Lawrence were going to yes. push him in the back. Yes. That didn't happen. And when it happened, I was like, like I said, yeah. me, me, me and my son, we watched the uh, the Vikings Colts game. It was the same thing. It was like, at some point, as a staff, you got to come together. No players around you. Whatever, how many coaches that you trust and say, hey, man, you know we're winning this game, right? We're up by a lot. I know it's getting close. They made a little run. But it's 11 minutes left in the fourth. Can we get five minutes off of this clock? You know, we do have Austin Eckler, pound for pound, strongest dude on our team. Can we just give him the ball? But they kept giving him the ball the same way. He was losing yards every first down. And they were like, they couldn't give it to him one second. Now it, was sec- it was second and 13, Matt. I don't have the stats here. At least five times in the second half. Well, you know, speaking of getting cut and all that good stuff, You mentioned you didn't see a reason that anyone should be fired. I didn't. What I saw in Orchard Park, New York, was a dude that needed to be in his commander's (laughs) office reporting as ordered. Because I went to a thing and you went to it called Airman Leadership School. And outside of giving speeches, one of the very first things they told us in Airman Leadership School, also known as ALS, was that you got to learn how to manage your time. As a supervisor... Three to five minutes. If it was two minutes and 59 yes. seconds, you failed. If it was five minutes and one second, yes. you failed. As, yes. You practiced it. We did the same thing in, 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 in CO school. We practiced it. Sitting on a pool table in our hotel, practicing these speeches, timing it out, practicing it out, getting our game plan together. So why did this professional football team have so many issues getting plays in. They blew two timeouts, and they got bailed out one time when Buffalo called a timeout because they weren't lined up. The play clock was at zero. But did you hear what my black coach said after the game? Mike McDaniels? Yes. He said that he thought 
The fourth and one was a first down. That don't have nothing to do with why you didn't get to play in before the delay of game. First of all, that's first of all. Second of all, why did you think it was a first did down when nobody when nobody changed the cards? The did he think they deserved the first down? Is that no? What he, he said he said that he thought that they converted the first, first down. down. Right. So he was confused on what down it was. Which my point is, it doesn't matter what January. down it was. Get the damn January. play in. It's January, bro. You can't be confused. Get the damn day. play in. And and not only that, not only that. To be fair, I did see a replay, but it was a still photo. It was a still photo. I did see something that made me think that they got the first down. But at first the two. same time, first down, fourth down, third down, whatever, get the damn play in. Get 25 seconds. You already got a you already got a quarterback that doesn't play very often, your third string quarterback. You know, Buffalo already outgained you by 200 yards. Josh Allen tried to give you late Christmas presents. He's out there point shaving. You went four for 15 on third down. Josh Allen, we talked about, is he Brett Favre or is he Jay Cutler? But I thought about it, actually. I thought about it since we had that conversation. He reminds me a little bit. Now, this guy didn't turn it over that way, but he reminds me a little bit of Donovan McNabb when he first got to Sean Jackson. It was literally like, I'm going to run around this pocket. I'm going to sit here because I don't care how long it takes. My receiver is going to get open. And if the deep ball wasn't there, deer in headlights, turnover, slash getting sacked or holding on to the ball too long. So that was the moment. That was what I thought of. And I even thought of Aaron Rodgers from this season a little bit where we're used to Aaron Rodgers flicking the wrist and just getting rid of it. But this season, he was just kind of like, uh, you guys want to get open today, you know? So Josh Allen scares me because since you want to go all preview on me, he scares me because since they play Cincinnati this week, Cincinnati is losing these offensive line and dropping like flies, but Josh Allen is losing the football. So I have no idea how he goes forward because he's going to either make a fool out of me and just go out there and look like the Josh Allen that everybody knows he's capable of capable of being, or he's going through something. Thanks. Josh Allen is, is, is good. He's a good quarterback, but I think the problem is he is treated like a great quarterback and he's treated like an invincible quarterback and he's not treated like a quarterback that is presented with the game plan that he's supposed to execute it feels like he created the game plan and <laughs> watching him execute it <laughs> you know what's crazy to me and you'll appreciate this as a laker fan whenever i see josh allen do these things from the pocket it reminds me of a russell westbrook heat check like he just literally is like hey the coach called a crossing route, and I'm going to throw a 30-yard pass just to make sure, like, I can, that I can get away with it. I don't, I don't, I don't understand the play calling in Buffalo when it's. I don't understand the play calling in the NFL with teams that have a quarterback that just got his big contract. I get that this person's got their big contract, but you don't have to validate 
ownership's signing of the person by essentially demanding that they're constantly showing off what they can do. It's so many times in an NFL game where you can just hit the check down, but that can be your first read. Literally down the distance, you want to get the hands, you want to get the ball in your hands of your running back. I mean, you can, like, these wide receivers are such dynamic athletes. Motion them to the backfield, hit them in the flat. Like, there's so many ways to scheme guys open. And I'm watching these games. Like, I had a, I had a bet on Zeke Elliott one game, and my parlay was over under 11 and a half yards receiving. So I took the over. The part of Paulie was over. 11 and a half yards receiving. I'm like, okay, you got Zeke. This one had Cooper Rush. So I'm like, all right, check it down. You got a backup quarterback. Not, not like a highly touted backup. Not like you had like Nick Foles as a backup or someone has some experience like Mitchell Trubisky who's, you know, been in the playoffs, something like that. You don't you don't have one of, you don't have like the James Winston backup. You have Cooper Rush. Like I think he got cut by Dallas a couple years ago, and they brought him back this past offseason. So you got a guy, you know what? This is going to be check down Sunday. Check down first down. I'm like, boom. Pollard, Zeke, check down. CeeDee Lamb, couple passes. 25 to 28 passes max for my backup quarterback. And they got backup quarterbacks out there throwing 40 passes. And I get that the rules help them out, but I don't see that many defensive holding calls and pass interference calls and um, illegal contact penalties to leverage that many passes and you get automatic first downs. But it doesn't happen at all. And if you're just simply Jacksonville against L.A., they were playing a pass from the opening snap. They only played the run on first down because they knew – Los Angeles didn't run out second down. So when you have Josh Allen, I think people just think like, okay, he can do all of these things. Yes, but can he throw the check down? Can he throw the slant route to this dude Shakir who made that great catch deep? He's your slot guy. Hit him short. Your slot guy is more like a punt returner kind of like athlete anyway. Just hit him short. Or Stephon Diggs. If Stephon Diggs is one-on-one, okay, boom. Let him do his thing because he's an exceptional wide receiver. So that, that matchup makes sense. But it seems as if because these guys get paid and they are dynamic, you're going to run that. Well, your backup, your backup is nowhere near as dynamic as your starter. So why are you overusing the singular attribute that you have when you have multiple people? Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs, Shakir, Dawson Knox. All four of those guys can get you catches in traffic. Why aren't you throwing simple passes to them? Like, why are you overusing your one guy? Yeah, don't forget Cole Beasley. And, you know, don't forget that we do not condone gambling on this show. You know, we but not, We're not uh, gambling experts. If you want yeah. to get that's on with. And, and also, and no. also, and also, you know, I would like for Jalen Waddle to catch the football. And I would like for Tyreek Hill, yeah. who originally I had in the MVP conversation after about week five, I would like him 
to not drop passes in playoff games, but it's not a perfect world. You know, it's not a perfect world. And Kirk Cousins is not perfect. You know, so when I look at the Minnesota Vikings, you know, it played out kind of how I thought. I thought Minnesota would win, but it played out how I thought. Minnesota secondary is slow. And the Giants, if nothing else, have speedy wide receivers that may not be the best receivers in the league, but they can create space, especially when they're playing against somebody slow. So the reason I wanted to go there next is because there is a difference in Josh Allen from last year to this year. And the only difference I can think of is the offensive coordinator who happens to be the Giants coach right now. But I don't want to get caught up. I don't want to get caught up. I read something very similar to that today. I heard somebody else say it maybe two days ago. What's Look. That? I am not, I cannot sit here and take away anything from Daniel Jones. I cannot. That man showed up, probably played the best game of his career. But, but I'm not getting caught up in it. You know, I'm not getting caught up in it. I'm, I want to see him against this Eagles secondary. Listen, man, I'm going to go ahead and call it speed to speed. Uh, the Giants are going to give Daniel Jones a lot of money. And they're going to be like, man, I really should have saved some of that money. <laughs> we, you know, we're in our sports group. A couple of Giants fans. And what they going to say now? They'll pull some obscure stat. I mean, we had the, 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 the Facebook comment section was litty. It was like 71 comments in it because this guy was talking about deep passes. He had, I'm like. And he said Daniel Jones had the deepest pass. No, he threw a pass. Like it was like a 12-yard dig route. Somebody took it 62 yards or 75 yards. And this was last season. Justin Herbert threw a pass 62 yards in the air. He had the stat confused, and he posted it saying that, oh, Daniel Jones' longest pass was 60, 75 yards, and Josh Al- or Justin Herbert was only 62 well, Justin Herbert's pass was 62 yards in the air, and the guy caught it at the goal line for a touchdown. Hey, first of all, I am not going to let you besmirge Daniel Dom's Appreciation Day. I am not going to let you get away with that. Okay, okay. What you talking about, just Daniel Dom's Appreciation? Listen, I think this is just, the best game of his career. It is, but the problem is he's going to get paid this offseason fifth-year option, but you get like $30 million for fifth-year options, or does his agent say, hey, if they win this weekend, are you giving Daniel Jones $200 million? I mean, personally, I'm not, but the Giants probably are, you that's know? A, so with me, and that's and that's why like I, I, I lean on these wins and losses and things like that. It's like, do you think the guy you have is a $200 million guy? When I get the wins and losses factor in, but if he got one more win, you would think he was a two hundred million dollar guy. <laughs> you would think that at the at the snap. So so that's that's my that's my conundrum when it comes to Dave Jones because yes, he's done a good job. He didn't fumble, but really he is playing like a good rookie. But he's in his fourth fifth year. He's about to get big money, and he's he's playing like the way you would expect a, a six overall pick to play in his first year. Don't turn the ball over. 
barely, I think he's just shy, the maybe total 22, 23 total touchdowns on a year. Those are like numbers you want from Zach Wilson this year. Is, is that what Tyler Huntley would get if he started the whole season? If Tyler Huntley started the whole <laughs> season, he'd be around that 16 to 18 total touchdowns. <laughs> uh, 2,900 yards passing, maybe 3,000. If he played 17 games, he'd get you about 190 to 210 yards a game. He might scramble, get you three, four touchdowns. But that's 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 what you're getting from Daniel Jones, and that's and that's cool. And I get you, you. You pay who you love. Like everybody can't, you know, everybody can't have Patrick Mahomes and offer him a contract. Everybody can't have Josh Allen and offer him a contract. Everyone can't have Dakota Prescott offer him a contract. But you can't also look at Colin Murray and say, well, we think our guy's better than Colin Murray. So we're going to give him a bigger contract than Colin Murray because you got to look at the fact that you give up 30, 35% of your cap to one player and he doesn't have any information, any plays that say, I am worth you losing defensive tackle, linebacker, safety, a tight end, a wide receiver. Because like, you got, you're going to lose a few of those pieces. If you give this guy thirty-five to forty million dollars a year, it just the math doesn't work out. Patrick Mahomes, you can lose, you can not pay Tyreek Hill thirty million dollars and still get five thousand yards out of Patrick Mahomes. You got to pay Kelsey. You got to pay somebody. You can't just get rid of everybody. But you can't not pay Saquon or lose Saquon this offseason. And then give Daniel Jones two hundred plus million dollars and think you're going to improve on the season you've had this year. So two things I took away from this game on Daniel Dom's appreciation day, I will have you know that he had four receivers catch between six and nine catches. He was throwing the rock all over the yard, and Minnesota's attempt to stop them were futile. And everybody always says defense is like 28. And, and, and everybody always talks about, you know, Your he does differential is negative. He, he does the things that he does because of the threat of Saquon Barkley. That makes sense to me, you know, but I just want people to know that with Saquon having nine carries, you know, we ended up with a Daniel Dimes appreciation day because he took over the game. Saquon Barkley rushed. For nine, he had nine carries for 53 yards. Obviously, that was a game plan thing. And I don't know why Minnesota did not watch. I don't don't know why Minnesota didn't watch any film. Because one of the things that I know I said last week when we discussed this was run, Forrest, run. You know, Daniel Jones' legs were going to play a big role in this game. So apparently I knew that, but the Vikings did not. They did not know that. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk Cousins with the chains on the airplane doing the, the shmoney dance and all yeah, that. What, what was it? Uh, Kirk Thuggins? Yeah. Kirk, <laughs> Kirk you like Thuggins. That. I mean, you like that. I like Kirk Cousins. I wanted him to stay in Washington. You know, I wanted him to be the quarterback that would lead us to the next decade. What I don't like is John Harbaugh's management of the clock. I was like I said, I was on the road for this part too. You know, this man. <laughs> I, 
this this like like I said, I was, I was talking to my son. He was breaking it down to me. He was like, "All right, so with a minute and seven seconds, they had a first down." And I was like, "Okay." And he was like, "They didn't snap the ball until it was like thirty-eight seconds left." I was like, "What?" It was I'm, more. It was more like a minute and thirteen, and they didn't snap it until thirty-four seconds, and they called a run play. I was like, "That's that's we we talked about this before that." I don't understand the starting quarterback and the backup quarterback drop off and how it's that significant. I get that there's 32 guys who are starting quarterbacks and maybe two, three guys who are backups that could be starters. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand. Tom Brady in that same situation, ball at the 18-yard line, First down, you just completed a pass for a first down. You got the ball at the 18-yard line. You're down seven, minute seven left. Tom Brady either is getting up and clocking it. I'm like, and I said, even if he threw a 50-yard pass, 45-year-old Tom Brady is sprinting up to the line. He's getting everybody set. And either he has a play called, and they're going to snap it around the play, or they're going to clock it by 58 seconds. Worst case scenario, he, he loses eight to ten seconds because he got to he has to get from the the twenty five all the way down the field, like on a 30, 40 yard pass. But even with that, he's getting there, getting people set. He's screaming stuff out as he's running up. They huddled up, substituted, and I get yeah, you don't want Cincinnati to get the ball back, but you got to still you still can get another first down at the eight yard line and and work the clock from there. Maybe you score a touchdown to go for two. That's in your DNA. But to to stall when you don't have the points, that's what, that's what people do on video games. I play dudes that play Madden and do that. I'm like, why are you stalling? You don't have the points yet. Get the points or get to the one. Yeah, you're probably going to score from the one. You know, as I but mentioned. You can do that from the 18 with a backup quarterback. Who doesn't know? Like I would have, t- I would have called him off. Like no, 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 don't, don't sub anybody in. Let me clock it then. You had two timeouts. I clock it, or I call a timeout. One of the like those, those are only two options. A sub shouldn't have been an option. You know, as I mentioned before, we do not condone gambling, but John Harbaugh must be all over that roulette table, man. Like this dude is literally like I still remember the Pittsburgh game. You know, know, well, he on that game with the bad odds where you like spin that big wheel. (laughs) His roulette table has function, his odds, it's like good things you can do. It's like, okay, you put enough money on the table, you can win. He's out there, he's like, you know what? I'm in a panic. I'm just going to just put $20 on this. this." It's like symbols on that thing. It's like, oh, the the diamond, I'm just going to put a 20 here and spin this big giant wheel. It it didn't make any sense. I I don't understand. I don't understand. Once again, how I can sit in my room and just look at these things and like, I don't get it. Like, just call the timeout. Just call the timeout. You can still, like I said, you can call the timeout as soon as you get the first down. You have one timeout left. You got a minute seven from the 18-yard line. And then you say, hey, we got one timeout left. I want to get this ball in the end zone. I don't want to leave them any time. But if this play call we call gets Andrews open, you throw it. Stay in bounds, whatever you want to do to keep the clock running so you don't get a ball back to Joe Burrow. I understand that. But it, and ultimately, you got to manage the clock better. That, that's what Jeff Saturday did against Pittsburgh. It's like, 
how you blow over two minutes with timeouts and run out of time? Well, you know, the craziest part is that drive, you know, the drive started with 346 left on the clock. That's the crazy part about it. You know, they did all this in three minutes in I mean, granted, they wasted 40 seconds, so whatever, but, you know, they they had more than enough time. This was not a hurry-up situation where, you know, there's you started with a minute 10 and you got no timeouts, but that's, I don't know. But what got me about this game was Cincinnati went 7 for 13 on third downs. Like, Baltimore just simply couldn't get off the field in those scenarios. But what made it even more confusing for me was Joe Mixon had 11 carries for 39 yards. So it wasn't as if there was a lot of third and two going on and he was just... Tom McVeigh coaching tree. Yeah, I guess Rick so. Philly, LA Chargers, they went eight for 19 on third down. It, it's just it's just, it's just weird to me. And of course, like I mentioned, Cincinnati lost another lineman. So the first two were the right tackle and right guard. This time they lost the left tackle, Jonah Williams. So... You know, going into this Buffalo game, you know, their offensive line is put together with chewing gum, you know, and I still don't know if I'm confident enough to pick Buffalo. Like, that's that's what's got me crazy about it. I'd be confident enough to pick Cincinnati because in the Tennessee game last year, you got sacked nine times. Well, well you know, real quick before we move on, I just got to say, I am so interested in this game from the psychological standpoint. You know, because that was the game, obviously, where the DeMar Hamlin situation happened. But more than that, Cincinnati's reaction afterwards, once we found out that he was okay, and then they were upset about the home field advantage, they were upset about this and that. Like, I want to see psychologically, like, is Cincinnati going to come out, for lack of better words, ready to kick Buffalo's ass? Like, forget forget winning the game. Is Cincinnati coming out there for blood? It might be tough, man. Is it in Cincinnati? No, it's in Buffalo. It's, it's in North Park. Yep. In Buffalo, the, they'll be wearing different colored jerseys. So they'll be wearing the blue home jerseys. So that might help. I'm pretty sure the threes on the field will be outlined in red. Because I know the Colts did it. They outlined the threes. So it's red and white for DeMar Hamlin's number. Uh, he might come to that game. Dude, I just want I just want Zach He'll, Taylor. I think he might come to that game. I think he might be. I think he might go like the the press box to that game. He didn't come last week. I just but, want Zach Taylor to walk out onto nope. the field. Yo, if he walks out for the coin toss, it's a wrap. I want him to walk out there and flat out nothing. And and you know, pardon my age, but Kellen Winslow, I'm a soldier. I need Zach Taylor to walk out to midfield and just say, I declare war. You know what I mean? <laughs> we need to, like Cincinnati. I'm telling you, all I heard for a week straight was how upset they were. They were whining. They were up. They Listen, were legitimately upset, but they were whining. You know, they had a the coin toss. A walk out. Yeah, they had the uh-huh. coin toss touchdown celebration. Uh-huh. He gonna Love stand it. three. Yes. So he so dude, stand on the three. The this Buffalo is the game. Bills Mafia is gonna go bananas. This is the game we deserve. The only problem is we deserve it in the AFC Championship game, but that's a whole nother conversation. Nah, man, we got Chiefs in that. We good, though. You know, you know, but... <laughs> promise, though. Jacksonville AC. What we don't have in the championship game is Luka Doncic. 
we don't have Luka in the championship game. But I will let the record show that Luka Doncic led his team to the Western Conference Finals last year. So, as we decided to talk about Luka Doncic, Doncic, you know, uh, one of the things that I took away is that Luka suffers from Eminem syndrome. You know, like there's Eminem came out as the white rapper that had skill and had everybody going crazy. And people just didn't like it. People were just like, yo, like, I'm done with the Eminem thing. Put that Jay-Z back on. So, <laughs> so, so you know, with this Luca thing, a lot of people are like, hey, James Harden didn't get this type of coverage when he was having triple doubles and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Joel Embiid isn't getting this attention, even though he's having a great season. And some are even saying Donovan Mitchell's 71-point game didn't get the attention to the level of the attention that Luca gets. So just for giggles, you know, Mr. Rutley here is be a, real funny in a minute. I'm listening. Yeah, you know, if, if LeBron has a beehive, you know, like Raph is a member. You know what I mean? Listen, I just am a fan of greatness and I'm objective. Mm-hmm. I don't get overly emotional about it. I just look at facts, numbers, impact, and 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 I call like I call it like I see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't have a negative Luca take. I think it's. I think all the accolades that he's getting are warranted. I think they're legit. I without a doubt. The issue is, we've already seen a guy do this so the only i wouldn't say issue the only um variable i think is kind of get missed is that everyone is looking for like the next guy and they want to crown the next guy and they want to talk about how exceptional this guy is and he's going to be the next guy but as, as if we forgot about the eight year run even go with the nine out of ten year run by one guy. Great, yes, he has a team. Basketball is a team sport, but that run <laughs> is unprecedented. So when people wanted to put certain players above him, like Kawhi and Paul George, they wanted to do what the NFL is doing to Patrick Mahomes. I won't say doing what the media pundits who speak about the NFL, the conversation are having around some of these new young guns compared to Patrick Mahomes, compared to Tom Brady. It's like this. They're allowing Tom Brady to go untouched. Goat, he's Leonardo da Vinci. You can't touch his art. He's way out here. Even though he's still currently playing and you can still look at like, yo, they had less points on the season than the Bears. These are all facts, but that conversation can be had because he's 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 way out here. Mm-hmm. Patrick Holmes was getting compared to Brady and he was he's gonna be the next GOAT. Parallel LeBron, he was getting compared to Jordan. Well, people are like, oh, he's not better than Kobe. So like it started I think people were just kind of upset about the comparison and they felt it was it was too early. So any opportunity people got to try to pick another guy. I was like, oh, this guy is better than LeBron. It just never came to fruition. Even head-to-head matchups, 
like where he literally made all these dudes leave the east and go west and then when he went west all these dudes in the west went east like these are things that happened these are things that we all saw publicly occur we saw after his team defeated golden state after being down three one they story has it that draymond green called kevin durant from the parking lot like he didn't even go home yet he didn't even let he didn't even let the loss sink in he left this he was in the stadium parking lot and called him so I think what ha- was happening with Luca is that people want him to be that guy, but I don't think people recognize how difficult it was for that nine out of ten years for LeBron because I think people think it's easy because he did it because he did he ended up he did lose in the finals so I think people are just kind of misconstruing the journey because he didn't get the ultimate prize at the end you know because he's four and six in the finals but if you look at it. Has Kawhi gone to five conference finals? No. He has not. Paul George, Melo, that was being compared to him, Embiid, Jokic. Giannis is Giannis is, is, is making his is making his run. Um so if you just look at that run, even Dwayne Wade on on the bronze team, he wasn't carrying guys for that many years in a row. So with Luca, I like I like that people want another guy. Mm-hmm. I just wish that they would want another guy, but not heap so much praise on him when we had the receipts of the level of accomplishments that they sent it to, considering that we do have a guy in the league that's about to break the all-time scoring record, but yet people refer to him. Yeah, he's about and he's about 320 points away. You know, not an exact number, but he's in that. He's about to break it like either before or after the All Star break or something. The math works out somewhere mid to late February. Well, I just can't wait until Luca, Kawhi, and DeAndre Ayton team up in Sacramento and take the league by storm and win not one, not two, not three. That's what I'm waiting for. You know, because because that's everything. you have to have in order to outshine one dude. If you need that much, the Boston Three Party, if you need that much to beat out one guy, imagine and when Jordan went back to back to back 91, 92, 93. Imagine Grant Hill, Shaq, Penny Hardaway, and Barkley all went to the same team. Just to beat Jordan. You'd be like, this is crazy. Why are all these guys going to one team to beat Jordan? That conversation never happened with LeBron. But clearly, when he took out Detroit mm-hmm. by himself, mm-hmm. 26, 8 points, 48 points, whatever the case may be, Boston put their own like little super team together. Granted, these guys were past their prime. They were in their 20s, like 29 and 30. Like They weren't 40-year-old Cage, mm-hmm. 40-year-old Ray Allen. It was like, Ray Allen played more years and got another chip with LeBron. So it wasn't yeah. like he was yeah. on his last leg. Yeah. He's had great years of basketball left on top of the experience that they had that they'd already earned. But they put that team together because LeBron was going to take over the East. And then he put his own team together that was a little better. It was like, was it MySpace versus Facebook? He made Facebook and then he went down to Miami and then he took over. But like I said, for eight years, nine out of ten years, man, that's, that's, a, that's a hell of a run. And these guys have talent, Steph. Thing, Joel and B, 
Kawhi Leonard, all these guys, they have NBA talent. If you just rate them on them and against themselves, it'd make more sense. But com- comparing them to what LeBron did is just the numbers don't match up. And I just want the record to show real quick. I just want the record to show that you people out there can give Kevin Durant all the crap you want. But the Warriors were the punks that brought them in in the first place. So give them some of that criticism, too. But anyway, I digress. Okay, my, my conversation is, is about Draymond Green calling from the park line and flying out to I don't game. even care about that part. Like, as Steph Curry, this is your team or whatever the case may be. You're the chief here, you know. So you decided to defer and let this man come in so that way you could win more titles instead of going out on the court and getting to get back against your rival. But yeah, you could have ran it back. All they needed, all they needed was Harrison Barnes to play a little bit better or a dude that was at Harrison Barnes level. I think they went. (laughs) Whatever he went, 0 for 10, 1 for 11, whatever he went. If he goes 2 for 8, 3 for 9, 3 for 8, I think they win. I think you know what I'm saying? It's that simple. It's that simple. So they they overkilled is what they did. But we're looking at the numbers. And I don't know why this number that I found chose 245 games. But in their first 245 games, LeBron James averaged 26.5 points, 6.6 rebounds, 7.9 assists, and had 61 double-doubles. Luca in that same 245 game sample had 26.1 points, 8.5 rebounds, 7.9 assists, and 121 double doubles. Now, before I go any further, that's the only Luca LeBron comparison I'm going to make in this conversation. I just wanted to put that out there for context. So, where I'm going to go next with this, this season, Luca's PER is 30.6 with an average of 25.2 in his career. Now, granted, it's only a four-year career. We're still early in his career. But But the reason that I bring that up is because earlier in this conversation, I stated how people were upset that Harden wasn't getting the same type of shine, you know, for doing things that Luka is doing. But Harden's career PER is 24.5. And just for giggles, just for giggles, rest in peace, Mamba. You know, I, I pulled up Kobe Bryant's PER for his career. Now, granted, you got to take into a nutshell the early part of his that first year and the way his career ended, taking all that into consideration. Um, his PER for his career was 22.9. So all I'm saying is that Luca is on a track. I don't think anybody will ever do what LeBron did that you mentioned with the finals appearances consecutively in that way. But I think he ultimately does have an argument to be the next. I think that he ultimately, I don't know if he'll play long enough to get close to LeBron's new point record. You know, I think no, that record, I think that record will stand. He's going to get paid too much money too early. To, yes. You know, yes. And now look at Dirk. You see Dirk, I watched Dirk playing Pickleball yesterday. He's not moving well. Yeah, that up a little earlier. Dirk, Dirk moved like a, like he played offensive tackle. That, not, <laughs> I watched him play pickleball. It was not. It was not good. I that think that he, record is going to last longer than when Kareem had it. You know, yeah. um, I, I think that's we a given. Last forever. Yes, and and you know, 
I, I think that with a player like Luca, you just got to take the good with the bad. Because the reason that I wanted to compare him to LeBron in that um, short moment that I did was because I was looking at the teams of LeBron's teams going through the East, winning 66 games or whatever it was. And I would tell all these LeBron fans that this is not the year. This is not the year. And then they would go lose in the playoffs. And people would say, well, what do you expect? He had Mo Williams. Yeah, he had Mo Williams when you thought he was going to win the title, too. You know, so so Luka. Win the title. I never thought that they would beat Detroit. Detroit just seemed like the perfectly structured basketball. Mm-hmm. It seemed like everybody had a role that they played so exceptionally well. So when he when he beat them, not when when the Cavs beat the Pistons and get to the finals, I knew there wasn't a shot. You said it was like the closest four game sweep you can recall, and they said the same thing about the Boston. Yeah, and you know I've said that on many occasions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 it really was. So that was the series. Even though they lost, even though it was a sweep, that was the series where I said, I still don't think he's better than Kobe just yet, but it's coming. It was no doubt in my mind that he was going to surpass Kobe after that, you know, but and this is this is the uh, the thing with the and I understand like people want to like kind of compare these guys who make, you know, you have an all time great. So playing, I actually hate it. He's a polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about him all the time. We try not to talk about it too much because there's so many things going on in sports. But if we just look at the numbers, not analytics, just the basic just numbers. Mm-hmm. LeBron's five seasons in L.A. Grant's only played 257 games. I mean, the guy's old. Right. Lucas played 304 games in five seasons. LeBron's played 257. Luca's so these are Luca's career numbers. Mm-hmm. 27.3 points, 8.1 assists, 8.6 rebounds. This is LeBron with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. The Lakers. 27.4 points, 8.1 assists, 8.1 rebounds. And that's something. So that's just his last five years with Lakers. So that's Luca's whole five right. years, right. five season with the Lakers. Some of that stuff can be can be pat, you know, stat padding. But for the most part, you got to be out there. You got to be out there. I, I just thought it was I just thought it was interesting to look at those two, not because I was trying to prove the point or say that Luca is as good or better or any of those things. I just thought it was interesting that the numbers were that comparable. Yeah, but that, and that's the thing. The 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 comparability of the numbers is that it just shows how much it just it just shows. Like it shows the, how much more dominant LeBron is when you is, factor I mean, in the like age. Word like I mean, people look at wins and championships, and that'd be like the end all be all. But I'm like, you you can't. You got to have your individual numbers. You play 82 regular season games, those numbers count. Those games count. We've seen them. They're recorded. You have all that information. They count. You have to be a factor in your 82 games in order to get your placement for the playoffs and get your preparedness for the playoffs. It's not like you just show up in August, training camp through September, start playing games sometime in October, and then April comes around and your team's good to go, and you didn't do anything for the last 82 games. And I think because I think the I think the media push for championships and people just kind of just 
the argument being, you know, like we we've discussed it being a lazy argument of like, oh, right, how many, right, what's the one percentage in the gym? Like, no, it's impact. Like, are you a talented basketball? Are you a talented player at your sport? Are you a talented football player? Are you a talented guard? Are you a talented basketball player? Do you are you a good pitcher? Are you a good manager? Are you a good GM? Like all these things factor in. If you're gonna just say, oh, they got a championship out of it, that's that's not enough just for your argument. It's enough for people to care. Like I know people care about it. I know it matters. I know like you know these guys get these rings, they matter, and then the camaraderie they get from winning these championships. But in the same sense, that can't be just the the only argument when there are other bits of information, i.e., two players have more than thirty eight thousand points so, in a regular season, and so one's LeBron. So, if championships are overrated, then how I much? That, I think they matter. They're not overrated. I think they're just no. Over- no, I got you. I got you. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere with this. Okay, I'm listening. So, if championships are overrated, then how much does the youngest MVP in NFL history get paid? Twenty-three million dollars. He's about to get franchise tagged. So if, you're, so if you're Baltimore right now, here and now, you give them the Brinks truck? Nope. Hmm, interesting. I thought you were going to say yes. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't because I wouldn't pay him the $300 million that We'll say we'll just give – we'll go with the Deshaun contract, 230 guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't give him that because at some point, you're gonna have to fire your offensive coordinator. I'm not. I don't like condoning people getting fired, losing their jobs, but this is year after year after year of you being a running tight end, pass heavy. You like you pass the tight end a lot. You don't get any wide receiver threats. You draft running backs, but you don't give them the ball. Like the play calling, it's just so it's so elementary that you're just resting on our defense is super tough and strong. And there's no me and you can sit down and game plan and probably defeat the Ravens. Well, you know, it's odd to me. So you gotta get rid of the coordinator before you pay him. It's it's odd to me because just my personal opinion, when I look at the Ravens, they are in my eyes a top two or three team when it comes to how successful and how well they draft. Where, you know, like I, I mean, so. I I'm telling you, it's 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 smoke and mirrors. Okay, but 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 all right. Who's your, who's your who's your offensive threat? That's where I was about to go. So 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 where I'm confused is how come they can't either draft a receiver or why won't they just go get one? I mean, if Bill O'Brien was dangling DeAndre Hopkins out there. Why do you not make a play? If Devontae Adams is like, yo, I want to go play with my buddy. You know, like, hey, dude, do you want to play with your buddy or do you want to make the do you want to make the playoffs? They don't it's like if you don't like Thai food and your buddy's like, yo, come with me to my favorite restaurant. Like, what is it? It's Thai. <laughs> You're my buddy. We can be friends. We can be cool. We can hang out. But I'm I I don't I'm not coming there. Because if you look at like I said, it's smoke and mirrors. But why don't receivers? Why don't free agent receivers go there? Because I think the play calls are. I think the formations are two or three tight ends. Too often, 
with a run component with the two and three tight ends. So it's not even like you're running two tight ends and two wide receivers. You're running three tight ends and you're just running the ball. So I'm out there running decoy routes mm-hmm. or I'm blocking. And then when it is a pass play, the number one option on the pass was one of the two tight ends. Or you bring in three tight ends and that's your that's your one, two, and three read. And I'm okay. running routes again. Like oh, how many times have you seen Buffalo or not Buffalo, but Baltimore line up no huddle, four or five wide receivers, four wide receivers and a tight end. Like in all the games you watch. It just just even even if it's just, you know, eight minutes left in the first quarter, like let's let's give them a different look. They never do. They run out there with two running backs, two tight ends, RPO, Lamar's keeping it. You know, it's just it's pedestrian to the point where if you got a guy who's having a bad blocking day, you got second and 13. Yeah, Lamar's dynamic, but your players shouldn't be dynamic to the point where it doesn't even match your playbook. Mm-hmm. Like what he's doing doesn't match the playbook. It was like Vic back in the day. Like Vic looked super dynamic, but he was like, listen, I wouldn't even look at the playbook. He was like, if I got on the edge, I just use my speed. So it looked like Atlanta had like this great offense, but really what it was is like, uh, I'm just going to run. So I always try to pride myself on being a little pragmatic. And, you know, when I did the four lenses test, you know, I came out as a green, the logical guy, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I thought about this. I was completely even all the way around. <laughs> I thought about this and I said, hmm, the last two years, my season has ended because this dude isn't available. You know, and when I look at it, this is my question to you. There was a report by Brian DeArto from CBS Sports that detailed that this offseason, this past offseason, Lamar Jackson turned down a six-year deal that had $133 million guaranteed. Is he going to regret that? No. Or is somebody going to, if the Ravens obviously don't play ball, is somebody going to just destroy their team to sign this guy? Well, what you're going to get is understanding that I personally wouldn't sign him to a guarantee because, like, I think you, you're you going to have to get rid of the offensive coordinator. Right. Unless you can find a coordinator and playmakers that fit the new coordinator's scheme and keep Lamar, I think it's just so many elements. Because the great moment of offense is, like I said, it's pedestrian. It's, it's high school at best. So you're going to have to get rid of him. Got to bring another coordinator in. In order to know that it could work, you have to give it a year. So he's going to get franchise act. He doesn't want to play without guarantees. You had two years to make this deal with him. Another franchise act gives him this year, then they can franchise him again. Mm-hmm. But I think those there's going to be you know forty plus million. So, so according to Deardo's article, the same article. Um, a franchise tag next year would be $45.2 million. And then he gets a top three right. next year. Keep in mind, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, they're going to get their deals. Mm-hmm. They're going to get their Josh Allen, so, 65, Russell Wilson deal. So, like Marlo said, the price of the brick's going up. 
So so why not? So why not sign him or just cut your ties? Why play the franchise game? Because he is a talent mm-hmm. and he's play theoretically. You want him to play. You want to have him. But if you're not going to have an offensive coordinator design a package of plays around his skill set, then you won't be able to get the players in. Because you can't run, you can't run, you can't run it back with this three tight ends, Mark Andrews thing again, and hope you can play this 2000 Ravens defense and Trent Dilfer leads you to the Super Bowl. Like you can't keep resting on that. You can't keep resting on Joe Flacco completing 56% of passes during a regular season and turning into Joe Montana in the playoffs. Like that's not sustainable. Your okay. defense is sustainable. You have an identity on defense. Your defensive identity does not match your offensive identity, which is non-existent. They even got two backup quarterbacks that try to like they try to play like mini Lamar Jackson. The wish version. Playbook. Their their playbook is so their playbook, Cooper Rush won like four games mm-hmm. when Zach was out. Mm-hmm. You need a playbook for the NFL that you can put, you can plug and play. You're not going to get, if you put in the backup in Kansas City, you're not going to get past Mahomes' numbers, but you can call those plays, those ring around the rosy plays, and then the flea flickers also. But you can also run Kelsey up the seam and run. You know, these other guys on drug routes across the line. So you can still run offensive wide receiver type plays. Baltimore doesn't have that. Are you saying that NFL teams should should train their airmen to replace them? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me that we as a group of fans and the talking heads mm-hmm. have said for years, you can't keep running Lamar, you're going to get him hurt. And your offense is too predictable. Your defense is stout. Your offense is predictable. Defense is going to give up something. Somebody's going to, the Miami game, the two rookies out there not communicating, they're in cover two, they think they're in man or they're supposed to be a man, dude runs cover two, Waddle and Tyreek Hill are running right past them. They're yelling at each other trying to figure it out. And they got it figured out. But they don't think they haven't figured out the offense in years. You double Andrews is a wrap. All right, so last question to wrap this up. If everything hits the fan and we get a surprise, give me two teams that Lamar could end up on. Atlanta has cap. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it. Because um, I think... I think in Atlanta, it's run heavy, but there's pass plays built in. Just Marcus Mariota just couldn't... He couldn't make... He couldn't make those like those types of throws. They called the plays. You could just tell, like, he didn't throw the deep route. And on top of that, the, the wide receiver room in Atlanta wasn't great. I think well, you I have feel a- like 
I feel like he was on a mission to get Drake London killed, like literally. Yo, he literally like that Arthur Smith and Drake London and Kyle Pitts should fight. <laughs> they gonna have a, you want them to have a triple threat match? <laughs> no, nah, London and Pitts versus Smith for calling that. I knew it was coming. I watched every game, and they'd run Zacchaeus. He'd go in motion, left to right, or right to left, and then he would do, like, the loop. Uh, they never threw it to him. Never. They never threw that little loop to him. Mm-mm. It's like no one's falling for that in week eight. They didn't fall for it in week one, two, six, nine. Just if you throw it, just throw it to him. Yeah. They wouldn't. They would throw the slant on the backside, and the free safety would just come down and just – Kyle Pitts, 6'5", 6'6", 200-something pounds. He had to hit him low, hit him low, sprained his PCL, maybe strained it. So he was done for the season. And Drake London got his helmet knocked off so many times I can't even count. So, so you know, for me, um, and, of course, this is dependent on a lot of moving parts, but depending on what's happening with Byron Leftwich, I think I might like to see him in Tampa, um, you know, with Mike Evans and – I don't know if you can keep Godwin, you know, if you pay him. So that's a whole nother issue. Um, I would say the Raiders, but Josh McDaniel don't deserve them. So, so I'm not going to say the Raiders. I'm not going to say the Raiders. Listen, uh, Dean Orley on the Falcons wire said, ESPN analyst says Falcons would be perfect fit for Lamar Jackson. That was two hours ago. Hey, it's a good fit, but I just wanted to say a different team since you already said the Falcons. We got the traders. Um, but I, I also <laughs> like – I don't like the fact they have a defensive head coach, but I think the Jets could work. You know, they got some young talent going on over there. You know, uh, that might be beneath Lamar at this point, but I think that that might be a good fit. But They have a room in Atlanta, I'll tell you that. They do, you know, but since I mentioned – Byron Leftwich, we might as well talk about it. So um, we'll we'll go ahead and probably table the NBA talk to the next show. But, you know, let's get into this Byron Leftwich real quick because I don't know if he's fired or not. As three hours ago, he wasn't fired. Yeah, and as of this morning when I was on Twitter, you know, <laughs> you know, two-bit reports. That's what I saw was that he was fired. I saw it on Facebook. You know, I saw it just about everywhere. I Googled it myself to have an outside, and I saw it on, like, three or four different websites. But let's just say that he's not fired. Should he be? No. The team, they shouldn't fire him simply because they – are going to have to, they're going to lose Tom Brady. Like, Brady's gone. So, I would rather keep my coaching staff intact and see if the new guy that we bring in can work. Okay. Evident that, you have to be honest, Tom Brady wasn't listening and being coached hard mm-hmm. in Bay when they rolled out there. Everybody rolled out the red carpet for him. Miami tampered to try to get him. The Raiders were on the fence to get him, but John Gruden nixed that deal because Tom Brady would have been a bigger personality in Las Vegas than John Gruden. And then Tampa Bay rolled out the red carpet, paid him the money he wants, probably gave him private jet access, room access, uh, 
allowed him to change the play sheet and playbook from the year he got there. Bruce Aarons, that's why Bruce Aarons got Bruce Aarons moved up to, you know, the, the big room in the sky because it was like, listen, I want to call the shots here. I'm Tom Brady. I got six Super Bowls. I came down. I won you guys my seventh one. And then now you're trying to, this guy's telling me or talking about me in public, like I'm not the reason that they're relevant now. Like I can see him having, he was talking to ownership. He didn't talk to the GM about retiring or retiring. He talked to the owner. Anytime a player can go directly to the owner, i.e. what's happening in Dallas, what coach has a chance? Bruce Arian is a respected coach. He's gotten a lot of black coaches hired. He keeps black coaches on the staff. He's been on the staff in Indy, Pittsburgh. He's just a well-respected coach in the league. And Tom Brady came down and was like, listen, I'm the best there is. I'm a championship waiting to happen. You just got to play ball. And he was like, listen, I get it, but this is a team game. You know, you can't go to the wedding. You can't get your own masseuse. You can't have your trainer on the team playing. If you tell that to Tom, he's like, no, I'm Tom Brady. He knows his value. Is he overplaying his card? Maybe, maybe not. Or are more players, more players play the card that he plays? Maybe. But he knows he is money. I don't know how many people fill in that stadium with Blaine Gabbert starting a quarterback in September. I don't know how many 11 jerseys they're selling in Tampa Bay if Tom Brady leaves. But you can expect them to go. So I would keep Byron Leverage. Tom, Tom Brady. He's forty. He's about to be forty-six years old. I think it's okay to say, you know what? If he went somewhere else and succeeded, like, all right, cool. We we rolled the dice and thought that this forty-six-year-old guy wasn't going to be any good. If he was twenty-six and been the three or four Super Bowls, you're like, eh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. But he's forty-six. It's okay to say, you know what? Hey, man, thank you. Go to Miami or, or wherever you're going to go next. But yeah, I keep left, which I keep I keep my staff intact. So if Kirk Cousins has earned the nickname Kirk Thuggins, does that make Tom Brady the geriatric gangster? I don't like that at all. <laughs> um, so so as you mentioned, he's about to turn 46. Um, just two years ago, Tampa Bay led the league in six different offensive categories. You know, so they are as follows. Offensive points per game, 30-point games, fewest sacks allowed per pass attempt, passing yards per game, passing touchdowns, passing first downs, and pass completions. So obviously you turn around and you say, well, duh, they added Tom Brady. So I looked at 2019, which was the infamous 33-30 year for Jameis Winston that couldn't even see. You know, they were they were first in yards that season. It's a W. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a W. <laughs> the crab leg, yeah. Crab legs. It's the Publix. And they were also fourth in points per game that season. You know, even with their quarterback throwing 30 interceptions. Just last year, Byron Leftwich was interviewing for head coaching jobs. And and, and this is where I, I wanted to ask you, you know, because just my my question when he went to Jacksonville and said, hey, I don't want to work with this GM. Did he hurt himself? Like, not obviously not related to the Tampa Bay job, but just in general career-wise, 
did he hurt himself? I, twofold. We talked about this last week, too. What I think happened, and I think it might happen for just more, more than just black coaches, but especially for black coaches, I don't know if a coach getting hired for the first time really has the leverage to demand such a thing. Mm-hmm. But I respect the fact that he did it because what he did was if they would have hired him and got got a new GM, it would have let him know, okay, they have my back, I got theirs, and then it also lets the people know that, you know, this this guy's serious. He's serious about what he wants to do. He's serious about his craft. And I rem- yeah, he loves Jacksonville. Yeah, I, t- I tell this story a lot when I was talking about, like, so my first my first base, right? So I get, to, I get to my first base. I'm sitting down at the table, 19 years old, airman, two stripes. I'm sitting down, and these NCOs were calling me Muttley, like that cartoon dog, that Snickers. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing's Rutley is clear. Um, so they were calling me Muttley. And I was flipping through the magazine. And they were like, hey, Muttley. Like, I flipped through the magazine. And they said it one more time. I looked up at him. I said, hey, Rutley, my name is Rutley. And I put my head back down. I kept flipping through the magazine. They're like, Emory Rutley. I'm like, yes. And I stood up. So I let people know, day one, I'm not going to just let you jerk me around and treat me like some, just because I'm 19 and I'm young and I'm new here, you can just sit there and just talk to me any kind of way you want. But I had leverage because I had a contract. What you gonna do? Be mad at me? And then what you gonna say? Oh, we were calling him by a name that wasn't his name. Why would you do that? So I knew I was gonna be able to have that that kind of dialogue. So him going in there saying, "Hey, I don't want to do this." Lovey Smith saying, "I guess there's a report out there that he was told not to win." Mm-hmm. He was like, "Okay," but they told him that they were gonna fire him anyway. They told him he was gonna be let go. Told him not to win. He's like, "All right." He went out there and won anyway, and they fired him. But he's at the point in his career, like, listen, man, I've been to the Super Bowl. He's probably been coach of the years, won a lot of games. I've been coaching. He's in his 60s. He's like, man, I don't care about this. But that's his leverage. I think a lot of new young coaches don't have the leverage. And I think Leftwich saying, you know what? I don't want to work with this guy who has this track record of being unsuccessful. Same thing with the Chargers GM. He's been there for 11 years. Mm-hmm. He still got his job. Yep, and just for context... There's so many people you picked. Mm-hmm. And you did your job. And just for context, you know, this guy, Balky, he came in towards the end of the Harbaugh era in San Francisco, and he hired three head coaches prior to this meeting with Byron Leftwich, and these coaches are as follows. Mike Tom Zula, Chip Kelly, and the infamous... The one and only Urban Meyer. These are the three coaches that this guy hired. I don't know who believed the Urban Meyer hire was going to work. I was against SEC it. fans. I didn't mind. <laughs> I was, don't work in the NFL. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so, so I don't think Leftwich should have been fired. And part of the reason I don't think Leftwich should have been fired outside, fired outside of the things that we already discussed was – Tampa Bay was basically pulling linemen off the street in week one. So it wasn't even as if, you know, they, they were doing good, got injuries in week six or something, and then it all fell apart. 
from the start of the season, they couldn't protect a 45-year-old quarterback. There was no way that was going to be successful. And, oh, by the way, they're last in the league in rushing, too. So, you know, at some point. Last points in the Chicago Bears in the season. Yeah, so at some point, you got to look at, you know, there's an old joke, you know, we talk about these college football teams like Minnesota and Iowa, and we always say, you just got to know who you are. You know, like, you can have aspirations. We want you to reach for the sky, but you got to know who you are. So when Tampa lost those linemen and they could not run the ball for the first three or four weeks of the season. On top of their limited commitment to running the ball anyway. Right, right. Like, like so you kind of, what they did was say, just like last night, we have Tom Brady. We should win this game because we have Tom Brady. And all I say is, it ain't 2011 no more. So you cannot just walk Tom Brady on the field and say, this game is ours. And Tom it's not. Brady, and, I mean, time is winning. Yeah, and it's not as if. And it's not as if. It's they, not just they, time. No, no, not at all. It's not a Tom Brady thing, per se. He's just the person in this moment that's dealing with it. But, but I don't think that you let go of a guy that was hot in head coaching searches and got interviews one just for having a bad year so that's first and foremost just for one bad year secondly when you have a 45 year old quarterback that when people when i hear people talk about why he isn't playing well they say he was distracted by a divorce and all these things so i'm gonna lay that on somebody else's lap when he can't even get his shit together so to speak you know like it just doesn't sit right with me it doesn't sit right with me, you know, and that is not what I wanted to get off my chest, but I want to know what you want to get off your chest. I mean, I think we, we've been kind of talking about it. The ineptitude of these <laughs> NFL coaches. Love that word. And the, the subsequent, like, overreaction by GMs. I don't understand how GMs, presidents, people who run these teams are just willy-nilly firing people what without really looking at okay what holistically did we have going on here because if you win that game with those 27 points does he get fired he got you 27 points it's like when a guy like in an nfl game you get a quarterback he throws a go-ahead touchdown and then the other team goes back down kicks the field goal and wins it's like, so it's sustained on the other guy's legacy who was on the sideline. He did everything he could. He did everything he could to give you a position to win. And then another group of people fell short. The defense fell short. The head coach fell short because he didn't play to his strengths. Like, so you fire him. The only thing I can think of is like, you have, these firings have to come with like some kind of conversation that we're not privy to. Like he was in a locker room. Like, let's don't blame me for that shit. Don't blame me for it. You messed up. You should have done this. Like, you know what? You're fired. It has to be that. It can't be anything you looked at analytically or you, even data-wise. They didn't call the right plays. The plays were executed. Jacksonville came out like gangbusters in the second half. He lost games. Um, I just, I'm just not the fire cell. What is it? The, what do they call it? Bloody Monday at the end of the, the first Monday at the end of the mm-hmm. season. Yeah, Black Monday or something Black like that. Black Monday, yeah. yeah. So it just... I don't know. I just I just feel like you're this isn't fantasy football. 
there's going to be trials and tribulations. You're going to have a game where someone blows a lead. But there's going to be other elements. And the, that can be the straw that Rick's Campbell's back, i.e. Jeff Saturday. He got hired. He was not doing well. He wasn't managing the clock in certain games, managing the plays. He wasn't galvanizing the players. Didn't know how many times. Like, things like that. And then you blow a 33-point lead. It's like, okay, this is a pattern of you not understanding and coupled with the fact that you were inexperienced. Okay, that's enough to say, you know what, Let's we got to go in a different direction. But Bill Belichick, Jacoby Myers throwing the bad pass backwards to Mac Jones and Chandler Jones picking it off, you don't look around and say, you know what, I got to fire Bill Belichick. But you can say, Matt Patricia, you did nothing all year. The offense didn't look great all year, and that occurred. Okay, you might be in over your head. You might be a little. You might be over your skis on this one. But I just think like these these. Nathaniel Hack is another guy. Like okay, you had to hire a guy to help you with the basic elements of your job. I work in an office when I'm dealing with aviation management. If I had to, if my company had to hire another guy to help me make these PDF files. And it's like, why are we paying you? Like we hired you first and you were so in over your head that we had hired another guy and this other guy comes in like, oh, this is super easy. Like, well, we don't need you. Like that's a reason to fire someone. But a guy like Dan Campbell, you can thought, you know what? We shouldn't have started the season off poorly, but you ended well. But you're like, oh, we, we should have won 10 games, but you only won nine, you're gonna get fired. I think I don't understand how they, these GMs and these, and these these player personalities, presidents of these teams make those kind of calls. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, I know Carolina's looking for a new coach, even though I think they got a coach in the house. I don't know why they're trying to pull Harbaugh and all those other coaches. Um, but I just think that the teams who consistently fire, because I think the Raiders are paying three coaches. Census will play, probably playing a couple of coaches. If you're constantly firing coaches, hiring and firing coaches, then you need to really look around and say, Houston, is your GM really not the problem? Just because you got him from New England doesn't mean he's perfect. He's not impervious to criticism. Give him some. You pick two guys that were not built for today's NFL. You pick two guys who I think their age total is about 110. Like, I'm not trying to be dismissive of, like, older coaches, but you you have a young team. You are – you just lost your young quarterback through controversy, got nothing back for him. What did they get back from Cleveland in that deal? They get any picks? I'm sure they got picks, but – What picks? You know. They haven't been talking about them. Your guess is as good as mine. I know – Denver got a good pick from Miami, and I know when Miami was no, making Seattle got a good got pick. A picks from San Francisco. So I know teams teams are making yeah. this. Seattle got a good pick from Denver, yeah. Denver gave up everything to get Russell. <laughs> and I'm like, Houston, what you get? And then you don't have the number one pick. Okay, cool. You still can get CJ Stroud at number two if the Bears decide to take another quarterback. But once again, it's like these GMs and these, it's like they're playing fantasy football, and it's like, Go back and watch how some of these 80s football teams operated. Yeah, but that's all I got to get off my chest right now. Okay, okay. 
And I also want to let everybody know out there that this show does not support ageism. All right. I'll be right back. All right. So what do I have to get off my chest? So I had a couple of different places that I could go. Just like last week, I told you I got problems. Apparently, I'm full of rage. But one of the things that stood out to me was the Ed Reed situation down at Bethune-Cookman, especially coming off of the heels of Deion Sanders and should he have stayed and should he have left. But I'll probably come back to that another day. Uh, What I'm going to go with today is something near and dear to me. We talked about college football playoff expansion earlier, so... College basketball, March Madness is my jam, you know, but where March Madness gets it wrong, why do we have conference champions playing in the first four? So, you know, we have our 12 seeds, which are like our bubble teams, our last four, and I'm fine with them playing in the first four. You know, they're trying to get into the tournament like they're they're still fighting for position and jockeying to show that they are worth going into the tournament. But if I'm little Mount St. Mary's. That was formerly of the Northeastern Conference, but is having their first year in the MAC conference, the MAAC, not the Mid-American Conference. And, you know, near and dear to my heart because they're a Maryland school. But if I go win this conference and I get this bracket, and I see that I got to go play Texas Southern in the first four, I'm looking at somebody and going, both of us won our conference. So if you're going to put my team from my conference in the first four or a mid-major in the first four, then let it be a mid-major team that won the regular season conference title but choked it up in the conference tournament because I know there's a rule that protects these little schools like Mount St. Mary's that says that if you win the regular season title, you have a great chance of getting picked in the NIT. So that's fine and dandy. But if I earned my way through March Madness, because you told me that me winning my conference tournament, which is just a money grab, but you told me that if I won that tournament, I get an automatic bid. Automatic does not mean I play another team that won their automatic bid <laughs> for the right to go get slaughtered by Kansas. That's not what it's that mid- means. 16 seed. Let me have my moment on either Thursday or Friday, and you leave Tuesday and Wednesday to those jabronis that couldn't get it right. You know, yeah, now if I'm 18 and 14. Yeah, and I understand we talked about the SEC, we talked about college football, we talked about level of competition. So I know in my heart of hearts that this Iowa team that went 9-9 and in the Big Ten is probably better than my Loyola, not Loyola Chicago, but another Maryland team, of the Patriot League. But that 9-9 and Big Ten team didn't win their conference. They didn't win their conference tournament in all likelihood. Give me my Thursday, Friday in the NCAA tournament, and I have a chance to become the second UMBC. You know, another Maryland team. Sorry, Mr. Virginia. But the point being, the point being, what if we put— I know, I know. But, but, but But what if we put UMBC in the first four? And they lost to, you know, Wichita State or something. 
We never even get that story. And we're still sitting here talking about how a 16 is and never beat a It was a beatable. blowout. It was a blowout. It was a blowout. You know, we, I remember we, when Houston beat Iowa State, there was a 15 and a 2 seed. I was in high school. I was like, what? Yes. You know, because it's another. The, and that's the thing. The tournament is, the, is, is like designed for the Cinderella. People only watch the tournament. For, I guarantee you, I've probably watched a handful of college basketball games and highlights and things this year. Not much because, you know, really into football and NBA right. and that, you know, just life and everything else. But come March, I'm making a bracket. I might pick team based off color. I'm like, yeah, I like this color <laughs> over this color gold. Or I flip a coin or I just pick every team for Virginia. Like first round, I normally pick every team for Virginia. I don't care who they playing. I just pick them. And you know, part of me, part of me is a little salty because, you know, there seems to always be at least one HBCU in those first four games as well because of the you know, how weak the conferences are and all that kind of stuff. And I understand that those conferences are weak. But all I'm saying is I won. I did what you – I met your criteria. You gave me a criterion to me. I met your acceptance criteria, put me in. And put me in. When put me in. If I'm a, play in part of the tournament. If I'm going to lose by 20 to Arizona. At least let me get on TV. Whoever you put in that spot besides me or whoever beats me in the first four or whatever is still going to lose by 20 to Arizona in all likelihood. Why can't it be me? <laughs> you know, that's what that's what I got to get off my It doesn't make sense to me if you're going to have the plan. Like, that's the thing. I remember when they went to 68. I'm like, if you're going to have a like, why have 68? Just you should just stuck with 64. Oh, and the latest thing that got me upset as well, you know, part of that rage I was talking about is they just approved the possibility of going to 96. So a lot of people think that's not going to happen. They don't think it's going to pass, but they do have permission to go to 96 if they see fit. Then what is the point of playing basketball from October to March? Well, see, real quick, I think, so it's one of those things, right? We talked about college football having 131 teams, soon to be 133, and right now only four teams getting the playoff. So right now... That 68 team comes out of a poll of 363. So, like, percentage-wise, it's still low, I guess, but it's enough because once you start doing that, you grasping at straws, and now you're letting in teams. You're like, letting teams that are like that, that are 14 and 15. You're, you're letting in somebody 15 like 15 and 14 on the you're, season. You're, you're letting somebody like Syracuse because the ACC now plays 20 conference games in a season. So now you're letting 8 and 12 in the ACC Syracuse get in because Syracuse is a moneymaker, you know, and you're still going to tell, you know, Bradley University in the Missouri Valley they gotta win their that their 29 and 3 ain't good enough because they didn't beat anybody. So at the end of the day, the word that you used earlier, it's just a money grab. That's all college sports is, and it's sad. Because these kids go out here back when, and I don't want to do the back in my day thing, but you know, like kids played for the love of the sport. They played for the love of the school. So that's my issue with things like the transfer portal. Like I'm all for damn there for free. Yeah, I'm all for player movement. You know, I'm all for hey, my coach left and I signed up to play for him. Let me go. I'm all I'm for all of that. Oh no, we got an Amber Alert going on, y'all. Sorry about that. Got an Amber Alert going off. You know, but. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, 
I'm for the player empowerment. I'm for the player movement. But we lost why we came here because I was listening to somebody talk about Jimbo Fisher, you know, down at A&M. And they said, you know, back in the 80s, a dude played for A&M because his granddaddy went there because they hate the University of Texas. You know, there were reasons internally why you went to A&M. You know, now you're going to A&M because they're the highest bidder. You know what I mean? And And by the way, I said I was for the transfer portal. I still hate NIL because it ain't actually the school paying the player. It's, you know, you're dependent on these businesses and boosters to do it, but the Maybe university is still go, keeping their money. We're going to work at this car wash and stand out there and wear a T-shirt on Saturday and get paid my 90 grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boosters, car dealerships, favorite car washes, whatever the case may be. Listen, if I can go out here, if I'm a physics major, I can go out here and tutor people for $50 an hour. Then as a football player with access to the gym, I should be able to train some people who put on a freshman 15 to help them get their weight off for $1,000 for the month. If a car dealership wants to put me on a billboard and give me a new GMC truck, lift it, SRT or STR, whatever they call it, give it to me. They want to give me the Dodge, I'm taking it. I'm going to go play football. Yeah. Try to get the best deals I can. And people are like, oh, these guys don't know about taxes. Somebody will teach me about taxes. My dad, mom, grandma, an accountant, Google, YouTube, somebody, I'll figure it out. Give me my money so I can go play. Because if I wasn't good, you wouldn't pay me. And if I wasn't performing, you'd get rid of me. So I'm performing, pay me, let me go about my business. Everybody else does it. I want to do it too. But yeah, I, I feel you. Like I said, it just it, it feels like a money grab. I know there's a lot of love in this sport. I know there's a lot of passion. You tell you see guys crying when they lose, crying when they win. I watched the Rose Bowl, Utah loss. Quarterback went out. He came back, did a little video saying he's coming back. I get it. I, I mean, yeah, I, you even cried over that one, right? <laughs> my son went in a football game. That's about it. My my son see my my son senior night. So I was in the middle of the field, ball of my eyes, I was at the 30-yard line. Yeah. And you see, so y'all, understand, I understand, like, the passion of the sport. Granted, mine is based on, you know, my parental passion for it, but I, I understand the passion for the sport. See, y'all, this, this is the unfiltered stuff of why we wanted to do this show, because we can have these conversations, we can make light of it, and we can be serious at the same time. But I'm filled with all this rage, and it's my fault, and I apologize, because we... Went over time again, but, you know, that's just what we do. Yeah. So, you know, we're going we gonna to let the editors get to their things and all that kind of stuff. But thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us. For Raphael Rutley, I'm Mike Wilson, a.k.a. 2-5. You know, 2-5-bit reports, you know, on Twitter. Just freshly today, hit me up, follow. I will follow you back. We will be back on Friday. We're going to get some NBA talk going on, and we're going to go to the lab and hit y'all off. Love you, America. Salute. All right.